Welcome to Narrative Responsibility, a podcast about examining the meta story of your life, how well it is serving you, and how to change it for the better. I'm Elena Wolf, relationship coach and life alignment mentor, and this is this week's new perspective. Hi there! I'm so glad you're here today. This is episode three, Authenticity, Persona, and Storytelling. This topic was inspired from me listening to another podcast that was doing kind of a question-answer thing, and one of the questions that had been put to them was, how do you maintain an authentic identity when you're doing basically, you know, social performance, like that's what, to a large extent, a podcast is. And I found myself a little bit unsatisfied by the way they answered that question. Um, And this is not in any way meant to be like a call out, uh, (laughs) you know, about them. It was more just that the way they chose to answer that question and approach it got me thinking because it was so different from how I perceive these things. And I thought it would make an actually kind of interesting topic. And so here we are. So first of all, the, the way that they answered the question was that basically you can't really be authentic. There is no such thing as being your authentic self. If you have any awareness of the external gaze and, and I guess Maybe in a really abstract philosophical way, that might be true, but it also is one of those logical conclusions that just, it doesn't sit well for me. It doesn't feel accurate, even if I can't quite tease apart why the logic is wrong or or what exactly is being said or assumed there that makes part of me just viscerally reject it and go, "Mm, no. I don't think so. But for whatever reason, uh, part of me is going, "Mm, no, I don't think so. So I decided to grab my Charlie Day whiteboard and start making notes and pulling out what some of the various threads I had picked up were like, um, what do I think about this or what questions is this bringing up for me? So here we go. Uh, My free form ramble for the week. (laughs) is going to be on what authenticity is, socially speaking, with a little bit of a detour into Jung's idea of persona. Then we're going to talk about the necessities of storytelling and having to curate the events or facets of a situation that actually matter for the story that you're telling. And then why I don't think any of that necessarily contradicts being able to be authentic. And maybe at the end, if we're lucky, I'll manage to wind that back around to our inner stories and perceptions and (laughs) land this plane. But uh, take a walk with me today and we'll see where we end up. All right. So first of all, tackling this idea of what, what is authenticity and what does that mean? And some some alternative words that I came up with, real, raw, 
unfiltered, genuine, complete, true, accurate. All of these kind of point in the same direction that if someone is being authentic, then they are being real with you. They're being true about who they are and what they believe, and they're not particularly changing themselves to like pretend to be something they're not. They're not trying to put on a show. They're not trying to make you like them or make you dislike them. They're not making a false front in order to achieve some specific end, whatever that might be, whether that's acceptance or deception, manipulation. It doesn't matter why somebody might be behaving in an inauthentic way. That would be a a false fronted way, saying things they don't mean, engaging in behaviors that aren't really true for them or that don't really reflect their energy or their emotions in that moment. But this notion that doing any of those things automatically creates inauthenticity is actually somewhat at odds with Jung's notion of the persona. The persona is essentially our social personality that we create in order to interface with other people and to interface with our culture and society. So because there is a, you know, when you were relating to other people and you were relating to a social group, by necessity, you have to have some awareness of what's happening in that group, what the other people are expecting, or at least at the very least, how they are perceiving your behaviors and often making some adjustments for the sake of acceptance. But do those adjustments necessarily mean that you're being inauthentic or that you're being untrue to yourself? A good persona, a well-constructed persona is actually one that allows your inner truth, your inner authentic essence to come through. It's simply coming through in socially accepted ways or acceptable ways. The, the concept that I think a lot of people, uh, at least in my generation, can relate to, and I think this is our word for it, is code switching. And this is, you know, we, like I at least have had an awareness since I was a child of I speak to my grandmother in a different way than I speak to my parents, and I speak to my parents in a different way than I speak to my friends. And, you know, in certain situations, it's like, oh, okay, I need to use grandma voice right here. I need to be a little calmer, a little less energetic, and definitely don't need to be cussing, definitely need to keep an eye on my emotional expressions because grandma can't necessarily handle those. So, um, you know, basically really kind of putting my best, most polite foot forward. Uh, That was not necessarily a particularly authentic persona, but it was the one that was socially necessary. And, you know, then get me around my friends and I'm, I cuss like a sailor and make dirty jokes like a 12-year-old boy. Like, that's part of me. But do I have to bring that forward into every interaction that I have in order to be authentic? I don't think so. I think that we are able to curate 
the facet of ourself that we bring forward in a particular conversation or in a particular context in order to achieve our goal for that conversation or for for being present in that context at all with kind of maximum likelihood of success. So interacting with my grandmother, I wanted to not upset her and I wanted to make her feel proud of her granddaughter and like she had, you know, a family that she could be proud of and enjoy in her, you know, last years of life. There was no reason for her to be upset by having a little heathen grandchild who didn't go to church and behaved in socially reprehensible ways, according to her moral code, which at that point was what, 60, 70 years out of date. <laughs> I was, I'm very normal for, for, for my age group, but you know, this is uh, one of those things that can happen. Like culture changes, expectations of like what's normal and what's okay start to change. And some people don't keep up with that, don't want to, aren't able to, or simply don't have enough exposure to youth culture that they are even aware of it happening. You know, was I was I wrong for not wanting to damage my relationship with an older family member? No, I was just code switching. I was like, I'm going to go in grandma mode now. And I'm going to show her the parts of me that I know she'll respond to and appreciate and approve of. But what I wasn't doing was becoming someone I'm not. I was just pulling different parts of myself forward. Those parts of me are there. They exist. They're real. They're genuine. Like, how, how is it inauthentic for me to bring those parts forward and to show those parts in a particular context? The truth is that human beings are all multifaceted. We have different parts. We have a lot of different interests. We have a lot of different, almost like sub personalities within us and different people bring out those different sides of us. That's okay. <laughs> like that's a good thing. In fact, it allows us to have a variety of relationships and for all of the different parts of us, all of the different sides of us to be interacted with and engaged with and accepted and mirrored and have a sense of belonging. Like that's, that's what having a variety of relationships does is it lets us express all of our different parts. And just because we have different parts and that we can't bring all of our parts forward at the same time. I mean, that would, it, it wouldn't even, like, I don't even know what that would be, like how, how that would happen. It would be, you know, we'd need six mouths to speak with at the same time. And we have one channel. And maybe we can, you know, broadcast a couple things at the same time. You know, we have words that we're saying verbally and there's an emotional tone that's coming through. So that's two channels. And then maybe physically we can be emoting and maybe that, you know, creates three. Okay. If we're able-bodied and we're talking to somebody who has their full sensory faculties, then we might get three channels of information across at once. That's three parts of ourself. And you know, how many do we have? 300? 3,000? I don't know. A lot. <laughs> um, I've actually seen, um, I've seen a meme somewhere and I loved it that actually we have as many different sides to ourselves as we have relationships. And 
that when a relationship ends or a person that we're in relationship with dies, the part of us that they brought forward in a way dies too, because it will never come forward again. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> like that one hit me when I read that. I was like, oh, it's true. Oh my God. I mean, maybe not like the one and only person who can bring, you know, any specific part of us, but like that only person who brings like that configuration of parts of us forward. Um, and then sometimes it's like, oh my God, good riddance. Cause that was like all the worst parts of me. And I do not want that collection of parts ever coming out again. <laughs> We've all been there. So the, another aspect of this that I also want to highlight is the idea of what our goal for a particular interaction is in the first place. We can take me and this podcast and my MTP of wanting to help shift our cultural narratives toward more hope of healing and letting go of some of our, you know, generational trauma that we're all carrying and that the world is trying to come to terms with. Like, that's my goal here. So I made a considered choice before I recorded my first episode that I was going to code switch into a professional mode that mostly did not include me cussing. I'm not going to say I never will because there might be a moment when that's just the only effective word. But generally speaking, I am making a point to speak cleanly so that people can listen to this around their kids or at work. They can recommend it to work colleagues uh, without having to worry about, oh, is this person going to be offended that I listen to something where every other word is a cuss word, you know, or whatever. I mean, yes, it maybe it would be a little more natural if I'm speaking in my friend peer group vernacular for me to cuss a bit, but that would potentially alienate people who could otherwise benefit from this message. And that does not serve my goal. So in this case, I am, you know, maybe sacrificing a little bit of authenticity in my presentation in order to serve my greater purpose. But for me and my particular personality structure, goal orientation is like one of the defining aspects of my decision-making process. It is actually more authentic to me to do this, to code switch, to be more effective toward my ultimate goal than to be hard-headedly authentic to my identity or something like that. I don't mind tailoring my message to the person who's hearing it because that is more authentic to me. If saying it one way gets them to hear it and saying it another would shut them down and my goal is for them to hear the message, I'm going to change how I say it so they hear it. That's just effective communication. It's not being inauthentic. It's not manipulative. I can understand how some people might perceive it that way or feel that way. You know, maybe for some people, their right to express their unfiltered self is like, that's the driving force of their personality. And for them, it would be more important to say the words that they would naturally say in any context. You know, okay, that's fine. That is a different way of being authentic. That is a different way of expressing your inner truth through your social persona. 
it's still making the choice on some level to have a persona. It's just choosing a different persona. So for me, I guess what equates to authenticity is it's really more genuineness or sincerity. It's basically meaning what you say and saying what you mean. And it's also saying things that you would stand by across contexts. So for me, it is very much more about the content than the specific form. Do my principles and my ethics and my perspective on the world, does that come through? Is that the through line across how everyone experiences me in every context? Because if it is, then I am being authentic. That is my sincerity. That is my genuineness. That is my truth. That is me being accurate to myself. It may not quite be raw, real, unfiltered, but it is authentic. So I'm going to switch tracks a little bit now and then talk about this idea that we need to share all of the information in order to be authentic. That is not realistic. In the first place, human minds take in so much more information than our consciousness is even aware of. We're not capable of sharing all of our unfiltered data points and context because we ourselves don't have conscious access to it. But even taking all of that, which we are consciously aware of, if we tried to, if we tried to express that to another person, it would be too much. It would be too many words. It would be things there aren't words for. And it would include so many irrelevancies to the message that we're actually trying to communicate and get in the way of the interaction that we're actually trying to have, that it would be completely pointless to attempt to communicate or relate in that way. The signal to noise ratio would be so bad, there literally wouldn't be a signal left. This actually gets back to what I was talking about last episode with the concept of genre and storytelling as a structure. You pick the information that's relevant to create the story. That is not all of the information. Sometimes you might include strategically irrelevant information. Maybe it's something like a red herring or a false hero that is a deliberate, let's pull the audience in the wrong way so that it's even more exciting and dramatic when the truth is revealed. Sure, like that's, that is a narrative technique. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not that every single piece of information that you include in a story has to be directly relevant to the story itself. You know, there's some space for for building worlds and for simply building experiences or vignettes. You can have fun with side quests. It can make things more rich and more exciting. Life is full of side quests. And that's part of what makes life fun. That not everything that we experience in life is this big, serious step toward our purpose. Like that would be exhausting. Um, <laughs> it might, it, like it would be so exhausting. It's okay to have moments that are irrelevant and sometimes to talk about them or to discuss them or to bring them into your story. But it's, you know, it's decoration. It's ambiance. It's not, it's not losing the signal because of too much noise. It's actually finding a way to enhance the signal by including specific noise. Then when we're kind of thinking about creating 
our persona. And we may not be necessarily consciously thinking about creating a persona, although I guess after listening to this, you probably will be at least for a little while. So sorry, not sorry. Um, You know, we are creating a story about ourselves. We are creating a curated narrative to give to someone else, whether that's a literal narrative about you want to hear what happened to me today or a more metaphoric narrative in terms of how we present ourselves. If we dress a certain way, if we speak a certain way, if we talk about certain topics, those all kind of, they hint at things about us and they might be more or less true, real, unfiltered, authentic. So, you know, part of our social persona, yes, it is, it is deliberate curation of what we want to reveal about ourselves. You know, if telling the story is kind of equivalent to genre, and if the words that we choose to use are maybe equivalent to the writing style, is it dreamy and poetic or is it really short and to the point? So is it, is it the kind of fantasy world building where you get 10 pages of descriptions of the world and the physical space to like one page of dialogue? Or is it Jane Austen where you get 10 pages of dialogue to like one paragraph, if you're lucky, of physical description? So there's different types of writing. There's different styles of writing. There's different types of storytelling. There's different, you know, there's different narrative structures that we can use. Our inner experience of ourselves influences what we might try to externalize, what we might put into our persona, or what we might bring into the space between ourselves and another person or ourself in a, a group social interaction. Just because I'm experiencing myself that way doesn't mean that's how you're experiencing me. The end. So my inner narratives about who I am and what I'm like <laughs> might or might not, in fact, be accurate um, to someone else's experience of me. Maybe they're, maybe they're accurate and genuine to my experience of myself, but that doesn't mean I have an accurate read on how other people experience me. And so that's the other part that I think that bothered me about this idea that we can't, that we can't be authentic if we're aware of someone else's gaze upon us. We can't be authentic even if we're not. <laughs> like, how I think about myself may have no relation to how someone else thinks about me. People all have narratives. You know, somebody might look at me or have some experience with me and cast a narrative about me in their mind. And that is forever who I will be to them. I don't have control over that. And I don't get to know that unless they choose to tell me. We don't, we don't know. We can't, we can't know. So the best thing that we can do is to be as sincere and genuine as possible to do our best to express what we feel openly and authentically to bring, you know, to bring to the surface the side of us that is most appropriate for that occasion without using it to lie or to obfuscate who we are or what's really going on for us. You know, that's a kind of a whole other topic and I don't want to get deeply into it, but we can use even true parts of ourself 
in a kind of deceptive way if we magnify them in order to hide what else is there. But any any person with, you know, a, a degree of sophistication in their social interactions is actually going to understand that every person has a lot more to them than what they reveal and what they surface, than what's there in that persona that they bring into that interaction in that moment. So I think if we just try to incorporate into the narrative that we're sort of telling about other people as we interact with them and the narrative that we're encouraging them to have about us, just leave space for that multifacetedness and that capacity that all humans have to be more than just one thing, to play more than just one role, to have more than one interest, to have you know, more than one through line across contexts and in relationships. And maybe that can make us a little bit more kind and a little more curious about one another, rather than making judgments that close us off to wanting to learn more, or, you know, feeling those judgments cast against us in ways that make us want to pull away from sharing more. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for spending time with me. If you want to learn more about my work, you can check out thepatternbreaker.com or you can follow me on Instagram at thepatternbreaker. And until next time, what story are you going to take responsibility for? 